talking about uh, spirituality for a, a few weeks here. <clears throat> and just the word spirituality itself, when, when I say that, um, how would you define what, uh, I think we talked about that last week about spirituality. And, and for me, one of the definitions I'm working with is spiritual, all of us have a spirituality. Uh, everyone outside this room has a spirituality. And uh, Roheiser says spirituality is our, our passion, our love. And he says, now what we do with that spirituality is always a big question. Uh, and he does a lot of work comparing um, Janice Joplin with Mother Teresa. And he says, underneath, they are the same being. They have this great passion, this great love. But Mother Teresa is able to will one thing. And so she has this very uh, positive, life-giving uh, Spirituality And Janis Joplin has an equal amount of passion for love and life and everything, but she just goes in all these different directions and ends up being uh, self-destructive. But he says we all have this passion. And what do we do with that passion, that eros, that love that we have? And today, uh, continuing on with the, the messy spirituality, uh, I kind of stumbled on this verse because uh, when I think about messiness, I always go to Peter. Because I love the disciple Peter because he's just an absolute mess. <laughs> I can relate to him. Hopefully all of us can relate to him. But he's also a person of great love and great compassion as well. So I'm going to read here from the, the book of Matthew. If I can find it here. In the 26th chapter. And this is normally a, a passage we read quite a bit uh, during the season of Lent. Uh, what's happened? Jesus has had the, the Last Supper. And then after the supper, he tells all the disciples, he says, all of you are going to abandon me. You're going to leave me. And Peter, in typical fashion, his raw rawness and his, his spirit, that, that passion is, oh, I'll never leave you. I will never abandon you, Jesus. I'm with you, thick and thin. And Jesus says, no, you're all going to leave me. And he says, no, nope, I'll never leave you. And he's very confident. Uh, I'd even call him very self-righteous. <laughs> And Jesus says, no, but when the, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter's insistent that this is not going to happen. And then later, Jesus gets arrested. He, he gets beaten. And, and then we, this is where the, the story starts up here. <clears throat> so Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And Jesus has been arrested and beaten. And he can even see him. There in this mess that Jesus has just been beaten to a pulp. And a servant girl came to him and said, You are also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the, the bystander came up and he said to Peter, certainly you are also one of them for your accent betrays you. And then Peter began to curse and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. And at that very moment, the cock crowed. And then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And this is the, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> well, much like Peter, have you ever uh, 
said something or done something, maybe even unconsciously, and then after you do it, you go, why in the world did I do that? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> why did I say that? How did that happen? I, I, just, I know I have that habit, and I just said, I'm not going to do it this time, but I said it again, I did it again, and then much like Peter, we just weep. Maybe it's the weeping is with inside of us, and we're confronted with our humanity, our flaws, and we just go, I did it again. Let's just take a, a few moments. And, and also, in that moment, maybe when we recognize what we said, what we've done, maybe we have a moment where that Spirit, that Holy Spirit comes in. And we feel that presence. Where we feel that forgiveness. Or maybe it appears later down the road there. So take a, a few moments uh, to pray and to think about maybe if we've had a moment like that, like, much like Peter's had there. Let us pray. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know if, uh, <clears throat> if Jennifer and I are alone on this or not, but I don't think so. But we have this kind of this thing that goes on for our entire marriage um, that sometimes... I did. But sometimes our, our, our house gets so messy that it's, it's kind of hard to walk through it. And it's even, sometimes it's even hard to find a place on the dining room table to eat. So we have to clear a little path for, uh, you know, so we can put a plate down and we can eat and we can talk over each other over the, the big piles and everything. And, and then sometimes it gets bad. And we always say, well, at some point, you know, when the kids are out of diapers, our house won't be messy anymore. But it still happens. Well, when the kids are old enough and they can start doing some chores and helping out, then our house will not be messy. But it just keeps getting messy again. When the kids leave and go to college, then, then our house won't be messy anymore. And it's still messy. And then we have this thing that we always do. That sometimes when, we're, when the, the mess gets really big, and if we have a little extra money, we will actually call someone to help clean our house. But, but it's always tense the day that that person shows up. I don't know if you do this, but we clean our house. Because <laughs> we don't want anyone to see how messy it is. <laughs> so we at least get the first layer out of the way so it doesn't look quite so bad when the person who's cleaning the house comes. Because what would they think if they saw how messy our house is? I don't know if any of you ever do that, but it, it's, you have to be very pretty uh, vulnerable sometimes uh, to let people into your home to see how you really live. And of course, this is a, a metaphor. <laughs> it's a metaphor. <laughs> What's going on inside of what of our? What is our relationship? What is our, our marriages and our uh, you know all these relationships with our parents? What what are those relationships really like? Well, we want to be really careful <laughs> before we let people in. <clears throat> to see that mess because they might reject us. They might judge us. It's kind of a, a scary thing. Scary thing. If our house, and it kind of speaks to this idea, if our house is dirty, if it's cluttered, what would that house cleaner think of us? And also it kind of relates to how we view God. Do we believe in the unqualified grace of God? Do we believe that, that God loves and accepts us only if our house is clean and uncluttered? 
Only if our house is in order and it's whole. Or do we think we have to clean our house inside and out in order for God's grace to be present in our lives? Because we always say we believe in God's grace, but we always live, it seems not always, but quite often we live like everything depends on how clean everything is, how much order there is in our life and how good we are. We say God loves us no matter what, but we live as if God's love and acceptance depends on how perfect, how clean, and how good we are. And we're hesitant to let God see our house and how messy it can get from time to time. And we falsely believe that until we get everything cleaned up, with, clean our mess up, that Jesus will not have anything to do with us. That God will judge us. And we fear that judgment. And quite often people avoid the church because they think they will be judged by church people. Because everybody knows that church people, our houses are always clean. (laughs) It's a rumor. (laughs) It's an idea. But our houses are just as messy as anyone else's house. And I've often, I've noticed this the last few years as well, that people who who stay away sometimes because they fear that judgment, that they can be just as judgmental as anyone else. Our houses all tend to be quite messy from time to time. After 30 years of marriage, uh, Renee's husband, a woman named Renee, he left her for a younger woman. And later, Renee was diagnosed with lung cancer. And she was devastated. She was alone. Her house was a mess. And her former church made her feel guilty because her marriage fell apart. And her faith did not heal her cancer. And she has bouts of depression. And her children are not in a good place either. And Renee realizes how messy her house is. And in that moment of just being at rock bottom, she realizes she needs a presence greater than herself to help clean her house. Michael Iaconelli in his book, A Messy Spirituality, says, Throughout our church and our community, good people have been paralyzed by feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness, insecurity and self-doubt insignificance, and guilt, which are what cripples most of us from following Christ or living the good life. That unless we have this idea that unless my house is absolutely clean, I will not be accepted. And certainly that gets reinforced sometimes in society that if we don't have everything in order, we will be rejected. But is the Holy Spirit, is Jesus, is God, are they different? Do they accept us and love us and restore us no matter what? And do we have the courage to be honest before God, before that supreme being? Do we really believe in a loving God? My house is a mess. Will God still love me? Will he still love me? Michael Iaconelli says, authentic spirituality is a home for those who do not have life all figured out, 
who do not have all the answers and who realize their lives and other people's lives can get messy and they can get very complex. And this is why I love Peter so much, my favorite disciple, because I can relate to Peter. I think I have been Peter and I think I will be Peter. Peter is the rock of the church. The church will be built upon him. He represents so many people. And at one time or another, I think Peter represents all of us. Not only is he the rock in the church, but Peter is arrogant. He is self-righteous. He just knows he's better than everybody else. He's right. Everybody else is wrong. That's Peter. I am the best. I'm the one that walked on water. He's full of himself. But he also has a lot of passion, a lot of goodness, and he cares deeply for people. And both these things coexist at the same time. And I know I've shared this many times, but I love that image of Peter walking on water. And he is on cloud nine. I just see him out there dancing like me, like John Travolta or moonwalking. And he's just having a time. And he just knows he's the greatest that's ever been. <clears throat> and the minute he forgets where that gift has come from, he sinks and he starts to drown. And Jesus is right there to pick him up and to keep him from losing his life. And in this passage today, Jesus tells disciple, all of you are going to desert me. It's your humanity. It's who you are. You're going to desert me. And Peter, whose moon walked on water, says, not me. I will never desert you. I am strong. I am faithful. I will never abandon you. And Jesus says, before the cock crows, you will deny me Three times. And that dinner ends. Jesus is arrested. He's beating. He's been beaten. And this girl, the servant girl, comes up to Peter. You know him. You know Jesus. And he denies Jesus. Another servant girl comes up and asks the same question. And Peter denies Jesus again. I don't know the man. Then a bystander says, you were with them. I, I can recognize you have the same dialect, the same accent. And Peter denies Jesus again. And then the cock crows. And he remembers Jesus' words. It's probably the most honest moment in Peter's life. Spiritual people are very honest. They don't pretend to be somebody they are not. And it takes that kind of moment for Peter to become face to face with his humanity and his flaws. He knows what he has done and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Just those deep, deep tears. I've abandoned my best friend. I've abandoned my Savior. And he's face to face with his humanity, his faults. 
And how difficult is it for us to face the messiness of our houses and why it is that way? And I don't think we can even do that until we really believe that we're loved no matter what. Because then we can acknowledge our faults that Christ will not abandon me if I make a mistake. God will not withdraw that love because of my flaws. And this is where Peter is. He's crying bitterly because he has abandoned Jesus. Spiritual people, messy spiritual people are honest with themselves and they're honest with God. And Iaconelli says the truth is we are a mess. None of us are who we appear to be. We all have secrets, we all have issues, and we all have struggles from time to time when our house gets pretty messy. No one is perfect. No one's house is clean all the time. And this is a paraphrase from Romans 3.10. In Peter's denial, and when he breaks down, that breakdown is what leads him to a breakthrough. When he falls up, when he is resurrected and renewed by that love and that grace of God. Well, do we trust? Do we trust God enough that we can be honest about who we are, our goodness, our virtues, the many blessings that we are and how we bless one another, knowing that God loves us. And then can we be honest as well about our shortcomings and our faults, knowing that God will still be there for us. And if we believe, if we know we are not perfect but still love, that we have messy lives and messy relationships, then how we treat other people changes. This is the transformation as well. If we know we are imperfect, if we know we have those flaws, but we're still loved, then we will meet our children when they make mistakes much differently. Because we've been there and we've done that. So instead of the judgment, instead of the criticism, We have patience and compassion as we work with them through their trials as well. When we know we are flawed and we know we have issues, then we're going to deal much differently with our parents and their mistakes and their flaws. You remember growing up the first time you realized that your parents were human? (laughs) I thought thought my dad always walked on water. (laughs) I didn't know he failed. And it wasn't until I realized that he was a human being as well that I could have more compassion and empathy for his flaws, for his humanity. When we know we are imperfect and we know we have flaws, but God still loves us, then we're going to treat that boss who is maybe not so great with relationships much differently. We have more patience. We have more empathy for them as well. When we realize we're imperfect, much like Peter does in this moment, we're going to have more compassion and love and empathy instead of judgment and anger 
in violence towards others when we discover that they are not perfect because we are with them. We can see ourselves in their flaws. Later, Jesus restores Peter and he restores their relationship. And Peter knows that he is loved. Even though he has betrayed Jesus, he is still loved. And this transforms him and Peter goes out and makes the world a much better place. He loves people. He has compassion. He has empathy. And we too can receive and model Christ honest and responsible and unqualified love for messy and flawed people such as ourselves. God's unconditional love transforms our messy lives into a messy spiritual life. And this makes all the difference in the world. And when we can be honest about our messiness, that self-righteousness, that rudeness, that violence that we tend to justify because we know we're right, it just disappears. And it's replaced by empathy and compassion. There was a young boy who was walking home from school one day and he went by the pet shop like he did every day. And he saw four adorable puppies in that window facing the street. And he watched them and he just fell in love instantly. And he ran home and he said, Mom, Mom, they have some new puppies down at the pet store. He says, can I have a puppy? And of course the boy said, I promise I will take care of the puppy. (laughs) Every parent knows how much that kid will take care of that puppy. I'll take care of the puppy. I'll walk the puppy. If he barks at night, I'll take him out. I will take care. I'll feed him. I'll save all my money and I'll buy all the food. I'll do everything. Can I please have a puppy? And the mom says, no, I don't think so. It's not a good idea. And of course, the boy is unrelenting. And the mother finally agrees. You can use your allowance and you can buy a puppy. And he ran back to the pet store He gave the the shop owner his money and and the owner took him over to the window and said, there's four little puppies here. He says, you can take your pick. Pick any puppy you want. Well, the boy knew this was an important decision. Which puppy should I pick? And he watched them for a long time. And he said, I will take the little puppy in the corner. And the store owner said, oh no, you do not want that one. Something's wrong with one of his legs. He's crippled. I don't even think he's going to live very long. You don't want that, that little puppy. He can't even run and play with the other puppy. You don't want that puppy. And the little boy reached down and he pulled up his pant leg. And he had a metal brace that ran the length of his leg. And he says, that's exactly the puppy I want. The thing that prevented most people from wanting that little puppy is the very reason that child wanted that that dog or that puppy. And so it is with God. (laughs) The very reasons we think that God will reject us or not love us are the very reasons that God loves and accepts us. He restores and he renews. 
And he loves us no matter what. He loves us in our messy lives. And he loves us as our messy lives become messy spiritual lives. And I pray that all of us, that we can just be honest and truthful with ourselves and one another. And that we can just be there to lift each other up in our messy, beautiful lives. Amen.